One thing I learned about my mental health is, yes, it's not going to go away. I've come to terms. It's going to be there my whole life. However, that doesn't mean I have to let my my problems or my struggles define who I am and limit my potential. So I term them conquer skills. Welcome back to Rethink What's Possible, the MSOE podcast. On today's episode, we'll be diving into the current state of mental health and the importance of raising awareness to help erase the stigma that keeps so many in the dark. Because if you're struggling right now, you are not alone. In fact, roughly 27% of Americans, young and old, suffer from some sort of mental illness. But as you'll learn today, things can get better. As you heard in the intro clip, we will enjoy an inspirational story from our alum, Jake Egan, who has battled with his mental health since he was 13 and managed to confront his challenges head-on, graduate from MSOE, and is now doing great things in the real world. We will also hear from Sue McKenzie Dix, Vice President of Healthy Culture at Rogers Behavioral Health, our very own Dr. Carol Sobel on the state of mental health and how Rogers and MSOE have teamed up to create new curriculums and programs to help make an impact on the future. And now it's time to dive in and rethink what's possible. The numbers that you've read are real, and we see them, we see people coming through the door every day that demonstrate those numbers. I I think part of the numbers that aren't shared very often are the percentage of people that get better, that find a way to live very satisfying lives. Um, Maybe with a more chronic mental health condition like Jake will talk about coming up here. Um, And for some people, they experience just the ability to to get better and, and move on with their life without having to deal with a chronic mental health issue. But regardless, the the number of people that get better, our outcome studies at Rogers show 97% of the people that come through the door demonstrate positive impact from treatment. I think we need to share that as much as we share the number of people that are facing challenges. And because of the stigma surrounding mental health care, do you think the prevalence of mental health disease might in fact be larger than the statistics show? You know, I want to say that I think there's good news around stigma. I think we are talking about it more than we ever have in the past. I think certainly generationally, um, younger people are um, talking about mental health, embracing the fact that we all um, may face challenges in our lifetime and looking for ways to support each other. And all that said, I think that most of us, when we have our first experience of a mental health challenge, have kind of gone through thinking this isn't going to happen to me. And yet when it does, unlike if we fall and break a leg, we don't immediately think I'm going to go get help. We, we play that game with ourselves of, oh, maybe this will pass. Maybe I don't need to reach out. And and I think I think a lot of that's based on stigma that, that will say something bad about me if I need to reach out for help in this particular illness. We don't think that with other illnesses in our life, right? It doesn't say anything bad about us when we break our leg. It's just life or when we have diabetes, it's life and we deal with it and we try to get in as soon as possible. You talk about people actually getting help when they need it, but what about the folks who have overcome their challenge? How important is it for them to open up and share their journey? You know, the 
all the research in the world around stigma points to one critical piece, and that is people who've lived with mental health challenges being in a place where they are confident and able to speak about both the challenge and their path of recovery. So not just to normalize that we face some dark times, but to normalize that there are paths out of it. And so the more we can get to know each other's stories, more I can see people beyond their diagnosis, the quicker that stigma starts to lessen and eventually, hopefully, be eliminated. One person who has had a long battle with his mental health and has made significant strides throughout his journey is Jake Egan, a recent MSOE alum who is now thriving in his role as a manufacturing engineer with Steelcraft. Uh, my mental health journey started in 2013, and it's hard to believe that it's been eight years or so since that time. Um, I, my family has a history of having bipolar disorder, and I know before the legal, uh, you can't be technically diagnosed till you're 26, all that kind of jargon. It's been diagnosed as rule-out bipolar in my case. It acts like a duck, walks like a duck, talks like a duck, but you can't call it bipolar yet because legality says they can't do that. Um, so I've been uh, working on that since 2013. I was actually a patient at Rogers Behavioral. I was I was in inpatient as well as intensive outpatient, and I've been on the uh, medication regimen and psychotherapy and all that fun stuff ever since. And I can tell you that the stigmas, yes, they're getting better, and I have seen it over the past eight years. They are getting better. Um, however, they still exist, and I've been. I every step of the way throughout my whole process, I was dealing with the stigmas behind mental health, um, as well as just trying to learn myself. And a big portion of it is learning yourself and being aware of what you're feeling um, and being aware of what you need at that time and kind of getting over the uh, I can do it myself. I don't need anybody's help. Um, it's OK you to need somebody for that. Um, and to lean on your support system and all that fun stuff. Um, so it's been a forever journey, and it, I come to terms and am embracing the fact that I'm going to be on this journey for the rest of my life. So I hope that answers your question. It does. It definitely does. And how did you manage and view the stigma of mental health uh, through your journey? At first, I mean, when I, in 2013, I was 14 years old, so it was really hard to uh, answer the questions and deal with the stigmas right away. Um, and the one thing that I had to come to terms with was that there was no particular set of people or group or anything that the stigma lives in. It's, there's, it's all over society. And at first it was hard. It was a shock trying to get over what people were asking and saying, um, you'd be surprised at what people are brave enough to, to ask you if they don't think anybody's listening. Um, and it was, uh, the way I got over it was, first of all, learning about what they're talking about, understanding that, you know, my experiences with my mental health are not theirs. And for lack of a better term, it's not their business. And, uh, it definitely helps to um, in educating the people that you're talking to as well. I've sat down for hours before for someone who just it didn't click. 
like I and that big thing is no, don't go on the defense, don't go on the attack. Just you're there to educate and. I've definitely changed a lot of people's deep rooted stigmas over mental health just by explaining what it is. Cause at the root of it, bipolar disorder is a chemical imbalance in your brain. It's just like, I can I come to think of it. I'm blanking off of what else is a chemical imbalance in the body. Like say diabetes. It's just the chemical imbalance in your brain. is just like diabetes. You take medication to, to work with it. Um, and there's hiccups along the way. You just you work through it, and once people understand that the chemistry behind it, and that it's not necessarily I'm going to go postal, for example, that that's one was one of my favorite ones to try to address. And oh, you're going to uh, oh oh, you're not going to go psycho, are you? You're not going to go crazy. No, I'm not going to go crazy. Thank you for being the way you are, but this is what's going on in my like this is what it actually is no i'm not going to go psycho i've been maintained for years don't worry about it so jake was able to find the tactics that worked for him and gave him the tools to start to open up about his story even though it wasn't easy let's send it back to jake and learn more on how he handled the new challenges and stresses of college so in the beginning and in it really in high school i had a great support system um working with guidance counselors and educating the teachers that needed to know if something would come up um but in college it really was a it was a struggle to figure out where to go from there um because i just i didn't want to have a label my biggest thing is i wanted to compete on the same playing field as everybody else i personally wasn't a fan of the oh take extra time on assignments on your test be like no i want to challenge myself to be just like the common standard i don't want it to be fluffed or anything like that just let me do it so at first i kept it quiet i kept it really quiet like no i didn't tell a soul besides counseling services every now and again um however it was a year i think two years ago um what happens when you're medicated sometimes is I call them um, backfires. And that means everything could be great. You could be good for six months to a year and you just have a bad day or two. Something wonky goes on in the brain. Nobody can really explain it. But for me, that meant I couldn't get out of bed for a day um, and kind of reconvene myself, take a, take a day for myself to re, re, realign everything and then make up the work and deal with it that way. Um, but I had a professor at MSOE. Um, he was very concerned. I was one of the, I was a decent student, had really great relationships with my professors. And he, he tracked me down in the science building and pulled me aside and said, Jake, are you okay? You never miss my class and you miss my class for two days in a row. What, are you okay? And I realized, you know, I might as well tell him what's going on um, just to keep it in the loop because it's my story, not the grapevine story, and things get misstrewed in the grapevine. So I sat and booked an appointment with him, said, hey, I have this. This is what happens. I'm fine. I've been medicated for years. I just had what I call a backfire. It just happens. And you just make up for it, get back on the horse, and you do it all over again. I was terrified at first, honestly. Um, 
I was scared of the aftermath of what would happen. However, MSOE's faculty in the IE department was more than more than accepting. Um, and eventually, I just went to each professor, booked a meeting, and said, you know, this is what I have. I didn't want word to spread through Grapevine. And everybody was super accepting. And the number one comment I got was, we didn't know anything was wrong. Like, no, I must have did a really good job at hiding it. Um, so it, uh, it went really great. Once it was out there and people knew it, everything went great. Nothing, nothing changed. MSOE's staff is fantastic when it comes to um, not taking a student, putting a label on them, and sticking them in the corner where they don't belong. Um, so I really appreciated that. So it sounds like you found a really great level of self-care at, at, by doing this. Yes, it was a big step. It needed to happen. At, at, at you can't be around four four years of your life with the same people and them not know that something this this extreme in my life was actually happening. So it was a big big step on on my end as well as in general. And now I'm brave enough to come on to a podcast and talk about it. So. This is a perfect example of why establishing a network or at least an open communication channel with those around you is a critical part in creating a supportive environment for yourself. As we will hear in a second, Sue commends Jake for the path he took and explains why this is a great example for more than just students, but specifically for employers on what they can take away from this. But let's go back to Jake's story and his, what he said really helped him at MSOE, and it's the same in the workplace. The very first thing Jake said about the professor that stopped and said, hey, something's, something's up, was that Jake had a relationship with him. And when people ask me, you know, I'm a manager, I notice something different, how do I have a conversation? The first thing I say is, well, do you have a relationship with the person in the first place? So all of us need to think about how we create relationships in the workplace and how we create safe spaces for people to have conversations about anything, including about a mental health challenge. Jake was scanning the environment to decide if this was a safe place for him to talk. And he he assessed the environment as safe enough to tell this person. And then he looked at other professors and said, you know, I, I think maybe they're going to be safe too. And he took that next step. So I think employers, you begin by building a relationship. You get honest about the culture of your workplace because um, there are a lot of employers that have a difficult time being honest about culture and they want individuals to feel safe, to take care of themselves, but they have cultures that don't support that. And so I think it's kind of two, two sides of the coin. Do I have individual strong relationships and do I have positive cultures where someone can say, I'm overwhelmed and, and the organization listen to that sense of overwhelm and be willing to make adjustments to, you know, maybe the workload right now is too heavy on all em employees in that place. That's a culture question. So we have to look both systemically and individually in order to create a culture where people are going to be willing to say, hey, I've got a challenge right now. Um, what are the resources available? Um, simple things like... Um, 
visibly letting people know that we care about mental health and, and mental well-being, um, having lunch and learns. You know, I may not ever go to a lunch and learn, but the fact that I know my employer cares about parenting kids with mental health challenges makes me think that the leaders in that organization might be open to me being someone who lives with a mental health challenge. So lots of different ways to do it, but I think it needs to be multi-level. And, you know, think about the bravery you mentioned that, that Jake is demonstrating here today, talking about his mental health challenges and his recovery. Look look how well he's doing, right? Um Imagine in the workplace if leaders in a workplace would talk about some of their mental health challenges and you could begin to see that this is about all of us. It's not an us and them. We all have mental health and we all have some level of mental health challenges in our life and some can be labeled as mental illness and need a, a higher level of care, but it's about all of us. Across the board, advocating for mental health is truly a team effort. So to understand what is being done to help bring these practices to the forefront of today's education, let's check in with Dr. Sobel on how MSOE is integrating mental health into the nursing curriculum. Well, we start right from the beginning. Um, our students start in their clinical courses and their lab courses in their sophomore year. and. As nurses, we care for the patient holistically, we call it. So it's not just understanding what's wrong with them physically, but also understanding emotionally, spiritually, and mentally um, what is happening with that patient. So in their first course, which is an assessment course where they really learn you know, how to do a head-to-toe physical assessment, but they're also learning how to assess those other things that aren't quite so visible, you know, mental health, emotional health. And so, you know, they, they start off with that. We're fortunate because we're on the quarter system, we have um, a specific mental health course within the curriculum. And so they're really able to take a deep dive into the different mental health diagnoses that there are, what the symptoms may be, and how to treat them. And because they have that course, you know, it, it just provides them with not only the knowledge, but they also have some clinical experience with that. So they get exposure to clients who are dealing with mental health issues and able to work with them and understand better um, the best ways to communicate with them and the best ways to treat them knowing that it's not always um, a medication that's going to fix things, but how, you know, there are alternative methods as far as different therapies and how those might be integrated into a treatment plan. Also understanding when we go back to stigma, um, you know, they're, they're looking at not only how to treat the mental health disorder, but they're also looking at um, legal issues, ethical issues, policy issues that can get in the way. Um, Jake talked a little bit about his difficulty in getting diagnosed with bipolar because of all the hoops that he has to go through to get through, the, through that. So what are the barriers that are in the way for these clients that have mental health issues? And that's something that um, our nurses are looking at as well. And then looking at how do we advocate for them to help make some changes in policies and legal issues because as nurses we have pulls, pull in that area. I think it's also important that we understand that different cultures 
ethnicities, races, look at mental health differently. And they have um, different thoughts as to how to treat it, um, how to go about talking about it. And so we do have a transcultural class that also addresses that issue. So um, we do feel that with all the different experiences that our undergrads are well prepared um, to take care of our um, clients when they go out into um, the healthcare setting. We also, you know, want to make them aware that it doesn't matter what setting you work in. You know, it's like some of our um, students will definitely go into a mental health setting, but whether they're in med surge, whether they go into maternity, into a community setting, they are going to be dealing with clients that have mental health issues and they have to understand how to best care for them. And so I think that's an important piece of it as well as, you know, looking at that from a holistic perspective. By 2025, the demand for mental health services is expected to outpace supply by 10,000. And in the U.S., 60% of the psychiatrists are 55 or older. Our nation is facing a shortage of mental health care providers, Dr. Saville and Sue. What are MSOE, School of Nursing and Rogers Behavioral Health, doing to address this shortage? Well, we were so excited. Rogers Behavioral Health approached us about two years ago and wanted to talk about developing a partnership. And um, they had um, several things in mind, but one of the main ones was to develop a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner program. And that truly is specifically to address that shortage that you were talking about. Um, at this time, the wait to see somebody um, for mental health issues um, is months. And that's really not acceptable when you're dealing with anxiety, depression, um, you know, things that, um, that, you know, many times we deal with on a daily basis, but if it gets in the way of you living your normal daily life, you need to have, you know, you need to be seen on a more um, reasonable basis. So providing more providers I think is an important piece of that. So in fall, we opened up our psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner program um, in partnership with Rogers Behavioral Health, who are assisting in the development of the curriculum and the teaching of the psychiatric mental health specific courses. They do a rotation at Rogers so they can come in and see treatment in action. At, they do. Yep. So why is this important? Well, it's important for us to have to have more providers available. Um, when I think about times when Rogers might have to turn a family away that has gotten to the point where they've said, you know, we're all stigma aside, we've, we've done some um, weekly therapy with our child or our loved one, and we know now that they need a deeper level of treatment. And we, if we have to turn them away because we don't have providers available to be able to see, it obviously it's horrible on the family and it's horrible on the employees at Rogers because they're there because they're so bought into the mission and want to help people that when we look at our um, the compassion fatigue of our own employees, um, having to say no 
to a family in need is really, really a difficult and wearing thing. So we want to be sure that we have, we're staffed up as much as possible to be able to meet the need of the community. So this partnership is allowing us um, to have some control in an area that's very difficult. We, you know, we're getting involved in being sure that people are trained. Um, the other thing that we're doing, we have five scholarships that we offer to nurses at Rogers. So if you're a nurse at Rogers and you want to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner, we have five scholarships available to support people to be able to enter this program. So, so we're bought in big time. What has the response been to the new psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner program? It has been wonderful. We actually have a waiting list of students ready to get in. Um, students can come in through either a direct entry um, master's program or um, through the traditional MSN route. And we are very excited by the response. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we, um, because of our partnership with Rogers, we are really able to develop a curriculum that's unique. We are, just like we prepare our undergraduates in a holistic manner, um, that's truly what we're doing with our psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners too. So often nurse practitioners, um, you know, think about prescribing right away. And that's kind of the last thing that our nurse practitioners are being trained to do. They're being trained to be looking at the client from a holistic perspective and thinking about what are the alternative treatments that we can use as far as therapy, um, different opportunities out there, and then, what are, and then what are the medications that will help that client as well. Before we wrap up, let's check back with Jake on the advice he would give others dealing with mental health issues and check on how his transition has gone from college to the real world. Through all of this, what advice would you give to incoming students or those currently at MSOE? Well, the first thing I would say is get to know yourself and get very comfy with yourself very fast. Um, that's, I know that's a struggle in a lot of my friends' lives, my life, and uh, others as well. Um, and the big thing, especially with at a place that's as rigorous as MSOE, you will be tested. Your mental health will be tested. Um, it's okay to ask for help and get to know yourself so you know your limit. Everybody's limit's different. Everybody's needs are different. Um, really become self-aware of in that feeling you have in the back of your head that you cram down because you have a lab report due at midnight. Yeah, that's kind of important. Um, definitely get to know that and do not be afraid to ask for help. MSOE does have great resources as well. There's the community has great resources as well to get yourself taken care of so that you can exceed. And I guess the last thing that I would say besides get help and be self-aware is, um, one of the things that I've learned is that you'll hear the word coping skills everywhere. And I might be the odd duck out, but the, that vocabulary and the coping skills just as a, like a word and a meaning drives me insane. And uh, before we get, before we get off on that, um, I, I think coping skills, the vocabulary has a negative tone to it where it's kind of a woe is me tone. And the one thing I learned about my mental health is 
yes, it's not going to go away. I've come to terms. It's going to be there my whole life. However, that doesn't mean I have to let my, my problems or my struggles define who I am and limit my potential. So I term them conquer skills. That sounds like, that sounds like bravery to, I think, all of us that are here on this podcast with you, my friend. It really does. And I've got one thing that I want to ask you. And uh, since you graduated, how has the transition been from college to the working world? I'd like to hear that. I am going to tell you right now, it is fantastic. I found a great employer. I love my job. Yes, I have bad days. Yes, I have struggles at work. Um, my projects are tough. And MSOE has definitely prepared me, not necessarily on the content. I, I can tell you right now, I haven't used calculus since I've left MSOE. And I know everybody thinks it's great, but I have not personally used calculus. I'm very proud of myself for that. Um, but I was able to learn and use my skills of learning and learning really, really fast, catching on to concepts fast, working with others. And the IE department especially has done a great job at forcing teamwork, whether we liked it or not. And as engineering students, we don't like teamwork all the time. And I'm glad I was forced to do it all the time because it makes working in the workplace so much easier. It's your host, Tom Crawford. If you're facing mental health challenges, we encourage you to seek help and know you are not alone. If you're interested in learning more about Rogers Behavioral Health and the programs they offer, please visit rogersbh.org. If you would like to know more about MSOE's nursing program, please visit msoe.edu or call 414-277-7158. Finally, I'd like to give a big thank you to Dr. Sabel, Jake, and Sue for coming on today's episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, or share as it helps others to find our podcast. Until next time, I'm Tom Crawford reminding you to rethink what's possible.